the night has come, when the night has come and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light, and the moon is the only light, and the moon is the only light, we will see. When the Hello, everybody. This is Elijah here from Marnita's Table, and I'm here to welcome you to another episode of the Weather Together podcast, season dose. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Lauren Williams. How are you doing, Lauren? Good. How are you, Elijah? Lauren here, um, producing for the table for this lovely podcast. Wonderful. Carlo, how are you doing? I'm really good, Elijah. Thank you for asking. Um, Today, I'm calling in from Oakland, actually. For your information. Love to hear it. Um, and of course, Marnita Schradel, how are you doing? I'm fabulous. It's great to be here. And Carlo coming in from the town, Oaktown, Oakland, California. <laughs> I used to live in Oakland. We called it the town when I lived there. So Marnita, um, I hear we're going to be doing things a little bit differently here. Do you want to introduce kind of our format for the day? Sure. You know, people are from all over the country have been coming and saying, how can we engage in peace and trust making? And at the end of the day, Marnita's table is an equity model, but it is based on building common ground and trust between people. But that's easier said than done. So we're going to each week teach you one tip or technique out of the table that you can use at home. And one of the new features is going to be, we're going to, we always say that we like people to have the element of choice. So we might only take on two or three of the questions, but we're going to post weekly or every other week or as often as we podcast some questions that you can ask around your own tables at lunch, at home, at work, at, in, in your faith practices, wherever you are. Um, remember. Our questions never make assumptions. What else should we know about our questions, Lauren, as our director of learning? What other things should we know about our questions here at the table? So we do our best to never make assumptions. And the reason is because we don't know everyone's experience. Um, We can't assume that they've had a certain experience. So we do our best to keep them open-ended. And if it is a yes to no question, then it's followed up by an open-ended question. Um, so that everyone can say, actually, I haven't had that experience, or no, that isn't true for me, um, and really lean into their personal story. Um, Absolutely. And we often give more than just two or three questions, so you don't feel limited in your choice, which I think, you know, so we'll be asking each of our, uh, our podcast team here to answer a series of questions, whichever one that appeals to them. And the next person may choose a different question to answer. So just get used to that. The other thing that we ask is never try to speak from somebody else's viewpoint. Um, So when we ask these questions, or even when we write them, always think of yourself, what what would I do if I were in the war? What you're asking me about what it takes for me to forgive somebody else, not what somebody theoretically should do, but what do you have in your own heart? Um, and I think that's really important. So this week, what's the question we've been opening everywhere with for Circle Settle In? Um, that's what we do digitally. We call it Circle Share In. Um, and we normally close in IRL, in Circle Share In. But when we do digital events, we call them circle settle in. What's our circle settle in this week, Lauren? The question this week is, are COVID related restrictions loosening in your community? 
And if so, is there anything you're noticing as we open up? So I can answer first and then pass it along. Um, for me, I have been noticing, yes, we, we do have um, looser restrictions here in Minnesota. And I think one of the things that I've noticed um, and understand here there's about eight months of winter and so summertime, everybody's always out. Um, but I've noticed that it's a little bit different this summer. Not everyone is rushing to get back outside. There is um, some hesitation and even for folks who maybe would have considered themselves introverts or extroverts before um, and loved being in the presence of other people, it's not the same. And so I've been doing my best to be patient with myself um, and other people in my life and just noticing that People might be different um, after this period of time, and that's totally okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll pass it to Elijah. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. I'm seeing the exact same thing in Minneapolis. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm seeing things. It's, it's kind of like uh, that first, what is it? <laughs> the, the, the groundhog was like poking his head out kind of vibes where, you know, I've started like, you know, if I'm getting food delivered, maybe I don't, I'm in an apartment building. I don't always, you know, wear a mask anymore. Um, and I'm seeing that a lot um, in my apartment building, you know, less and less people wearing masks in their apartment building. But, you know, you know, if you're getting into an Uber or a Lyft or you're kind of uh, bridging, you know, bridging communities, then you're wearing a mask. Um, and I think that's kind of the way to go about it for those of us who are vaccinated. Um, and for those of us, you know, who, you know, it's not always convenient, or it's not, it's no longer as necessary to, you know, be masking up 100% of the time um, when, you know, uh, vaccinations have reached, I think, a certain tipping point for certain populations. Um, and I think my apartment building <laughs> is one of them. Um, but that it's still, even, even if it's not literally uh, necessary, it is important, I think, just to show mindfulness. Um, and to show, and I think most importantly, to meet people where they're at. And it, even if it might not be entirely based on science, like people who are still entirely, like you are vac vaccinated, but you know, still very afraid, still worried about a lot of things. Um, you know, not, I had an experience once where I was wearing a mask um, at, uh, at a function where I was feeling comfortable being at that function as long as I was masked up. And someone asked me like, um, can I ask you a question? Why are you wearing a mask? It made me feel very uncomfortable for it. I, I looked at them, I was like, honey, we're in a, we're on a whole ass Panasonic. Like, what, what do you want from me? Um, this is the life we're living. We're in a whole pterodactyl. Um, but I think it's important to just meet people where they're at and not make anyone feel bad for the choice that they're making at this time, as long as they're clearly being mindful of others. Um, Carla, how do you feel? Uh, well, uh, well, I've been in Oak, uh, rather in Los Angeles for most of the summer. Uh, so what I've seen is definitely it's closing down there and here too in Oakland. I think it's becoming even less so in Oakland. Just I don't think I've seen a single person wear a mask <laughs> just walking down the street. Uh, they do put them on in like stores and Ubers and such, though. I have noticed that. Um, and I definitely agree with that, uh, meeting people where they're at, because I wear a mask everywhere. Um, mainly because my mom would slap the shit out of me. <laughs> she knew I was not, but um, it also makes me feel a little safe. And frankly, I kind of rock those masks, but <laughs> um, I, I, it's definitely largely about meeting people where they're at because uh, it was obviously a very hard year and to varying extents for different people. And 
uh, in various extents to how COVID affected them and their families personally. So I think it's important to recognize that not everybody's going to be able to go back to normal immediately. And, you know, we see that with wider phenomenon, like returning to in-person work, whereas a lot of people want to stay at home, et cetera. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see play out. What about you, Marnita? Well, I was walking my dogs and I live near a park and Lake of the Isles. And um, I saw two women who clearly liked each other, park their cars across the street and they were going for a walk. One was clearly introvert. One was clearly the extrovert. And the extrovert walked towards the introvert with their arms open wide. Neither of the women were masked. And every time the woman with her open walked close further, the other woman took another step back. Um, oh, and I've been seeing- You hate me. But, but it was also about the dance that's being paid. Yeah. You know, the people that, anxiety, I'm hearing a lot of people posting on Facebook, my friends are saying, I don't, I have social anxiety. I don't know how to be around people. We did a conversation with a group um, last week, like a corporate, that they were not used to being out. Um, and people were just posting feels and like notes in it that they were feeling that way. And so that was one of the things that really stood out to me is that um, people are feeling this way and that we're gonna have these feelings. And these two women had to negotiate it. Like one said, are you vaccinated? And the other one said, I'm vaccinated. And they said, okay. And then the other one said, well, it's been, you know, a year since I've seen you or two, you know, like, and she, and then she consented to being, being hugged, but there was a dance. It was almost like they were two birds, you know, like you see how birds do that dance. Very Discovery Channel, very Planet Earth. Yes. And by the way, I want to post this on my personal Facebook wall. So if I'm not engaging with the camera for a second, that's what I'm doing. I'll be back. Continue the conversation. Lauren, choose another question. Let's keep this ball rolling. Okay, let's see. One of the questions that is sticking out to me is, do you think it's possible to bridge a deep divide? Um, and actually, two of them. Are, are there any things that will make it easier to bridge a divide and, and what are those things? Um, and so for me personally, um, I think the number one most important thing that makes it easier is actually understanding what the divide is. Like understand, e even if it's not as big um, as race relations, even if it's just with me and a friend or me and a family member, the first step is actually understanding what happened. Um, and unfortunately, I think that step is probably the one that's missed the most. Um, I feel like people don't fully have an understanding of where people are coming from, which is why I, I love this work so much because it is about asking questions and it is about understanding like what has your story been and, and how do you see this from your perspective? Um, and I just feel like that's the most important piece. And I, I get to that more often in our own personal relationships in community a little bit quicker. Let's see, I'll go in a different order. Or would you like to go Elijah? Go for it. I mean, I was just gonna respond. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I was just gonna say that I totally um, 
agree with you. And I think kind of the key to um, bridging the, I mean, at the very least in the context of a discussion, because um, not all divides can be bridged, or not all divides are being, are bridged via discussion. Um, you know, sometimes it's more of an officiated process. Sometimes it's more of an officiated process of reconciliation. Sometimes it's more of a, a process of mediation. Um, but in the context of a discussion, I think the most important thing to bridge a divide is good faith and an understanding of good faith, acting in good faith, um, a, a, a trust in the other person's um, acting in good faith based in evidence um, or based in, you know, a, a reasoned understanding of their behavior. Um, because if you're not acting in good faith, if you're not acting um, in such a way that someone could reasonably believe that your end goal is to bridge the gap, is to bridge said gap, then nothing can be done. Um, so for me, the number one thing in terms of bridging a gap in a discussion-based setting is always going to be kind of trust that what is going on here isn't debate club. What is going on here isn't, um, I've decided to take a side and I've decided to fight for my side. Um, all logic, all reason, all feelings be damned. As our, co as our co-worker Theodore said, um, when somebody said, just piped up with a, a really crazy idea, they said not, and I don't, not, that was not a disparagement of mental health. I meant uh -huh. like, like, can we say wackadoodle? Is wackadoodle okay? Wackadoodle is fine. Okay not talking um off the wall anyway uh he walked by and, and the person was feeling very full of themselves very clever and said i'm the devil's advocate and theodore said does the devil really need more advocates and right. i thought and i i remember everybody like stopping and being like props right <laughs> like like yeah but, but but let me follow on to that then mm -hmm. um are there barriers, and Carlo, I'd love to hear this from you too. Are there barriers to you forgiving someone who has really hurt you? Or are there any things that would help you um, forgive somebody who really hurt you? Because whether it is a personal injustice or a sort of a systemic injustice, you know, uh, uh, what do they have in common? And are there any things that could really help or hurt somebody? I, I have one that I'm going to say because that really, um, every once in a while, um, and those of you who have spouses out there or partners or romantic relationships or have been in them, if you've ever been in a fight and the person says to you, I said, I'm sorry. Um, act like, so they, you have an argument, you have some disagreement and then the person apologizes to you. But if you ever bring it up again, they say to you, I said, I'm sorry already. Um, and I feel like very strongly, if I do something that hurts you, I should be able to say I'm sorry to you sincerely for as long as you need me to say that. Um, that it's up to the person who got hurt rather the person who hurt somebody um, to decide when the hurt is over. And that if the person who did the injustice continues in the vein of acting like it's just too much to hear about, what happened as opposed to understanding that that was a harm, I don't believe that they actually were serious in their apology. That what they really are saying is, I'm sorry I got called out for hurting you, or I'm sorry and I want this uncomfortable conversation to end. But the second they come back with, I said, I'm sorry already, it says to me that they actually aren't interested in a relationship. I don't know what anybody else thinks of that, but that's a, a thing I feel strongly. 
Well, that's definitely um, one of the big points that I feel. Uh, yeah. Forgiving people is all well and good, and bridging gaps is all well and good, but sometimes gaps are not meant to be bridged. And sometimes there are serious barriers that are not meant to be broken down. Um, you know, uh, if, you know, saying I'm sorry is all good, of course, but it takes a lot of effort sometimes to actually prove and demonstrate to somebody that you are a different person from something that you have done previously. If it's like a relationship thing, like I said something that, uh, you know, you didn't like, <laughs> and maybe like I, I said, your mom was fat or something, then that's rude. But, you know, you could get over that pretty easily. If I talk about your mom in a racist way or a sexist way, things like that, then that not only says, that's not only saying something about your mom, that's saying something about me. And, you know, with that gap, it doesn't necessarily need to be bridged. And it's not necessarily on you to start bridging that. But if they, you know, I, it would take a lot of effort, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of effort for somebody who said that to me to um, make me give them a chance. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, maybe it's like the, the, the Western, the principled Western person that I am, but, you know, forgiveness, I think, is a big deal here. Um, just a Judeo-Christian tradition, even. So Actually, you know. I was just listening to NPR, a science show, and they mm -hmm. were saying that, you know, they've, te they've done heart, you know, what is, uh, blood pressure and um, all sorts of health measures. Forgiveness is actually better for the person who's doing the forgiving than it is for the person who's being forgiven. So there mm -hmm. is some optimal reasons for, um, but that doesn't mean I'll ever turn my back on that. That's the other question. Will I ever turn my back on that entity or that person again? I think is a is also um, you know the difference of being able to let go and forgive people who have transgressed against you um, doesn't mean that means you've necessarily forgiveness. You know where where on the continuum is forgiveness than having trust ever? You know, um, is forgiveness the first step and then trust? But if great trust has been broken, what mm -hmm. happens? Part of the reason Lauren and I are really thinking about this right now is it'll be available on the web by the time this podcast comes out. But we are presenting the, uh, one of the plenary sessions at the University of Minnesota Humphrey School um, tomorrow from 11 to 1230 Central Time, or it'll be in June, but it will be available video form. I think our session is um, and you can, uh, if you're catching this live on Facebook on June 24th, there's still seats. You can register, hit us up on uh, direct messenger on um, Marnita's table, or you can go to the Humphrey School to look at the peace. It's called Peacemaking, uh, Peace Building Symposium. And we're, we're getting ready to do a session on peace building. And I'm mad sometimes. Like I sometimes read something or see something. And it was a conversation on education I just read. And you know, somebody came out and said, well, you, you elitist, radical leftist destroyed education. And I, it was everything, you know, I wanted to come back and say, wait, they threw bricks at me when I tried to go to school because I was going to destroy the school as the only black person in the school. Like, how do I, how do I let that go? And should I let it go? Um, and Lauren, Elijah, Carlo, you know, like, what would it take? You know, I wait for somebody to say, I I think it's a great idea for our schools to be inclusive and integrate. Like we are still fighting some of these battles, you know, years later. And so 
um, and, and, you know, whether it's Palestine, Palestinians and Jews, well, I mean, there's, there's enmities that we keep trying to bridge and often one side is a greater transgressor than another. Um, and right. how do you come of that? Right, yeah, and I would have to jump to, I think was the last question on our list is, is there anything you, uh, you can do to, is there anything you can do to create peace? And I think there's kind of two versions of that question. One is kind of on an individual scale and one is on a, um, I think, systemic um, or broader scale. Um, and I think the number one thing is on the individual scale is an understanding of I think it actually just goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is like a good faith attempt. Um, I don't hold grudges um, that have been, that someone has put in a good faith attempt to resolve. Um, if someone has in good conscience try to resolve an issue with me, I can generally see, I, I, like, it's very easy for me, I, in, personally, with a lot of, that was my computer saying it's uh, five o'clock in Japanese, as it likes to do. Um, it's very easy for me to say, whether or not someone is coming to me with an ulterior motive in mind, is coming to me to try to resolve an issue with me because they're trying to like avoid getting canceled or something like something like that. Um, versus when they're trying to resolve an issue with me because I because they understand that they've hurt me or that I've hurt them or some, something like that. Um, something where there's you know actual um, <laughs> weight on the scales in both in on both sides and both people are coming you know bearing their hearts that i think is the number one thing you can do on a systemic scale i think the number one thing is to actually um it feels trite to say but um to actually understand that the question is is there anything you can do to create peace is to understand that you can ask for peace um i think we were discussing i was discussing this with my family at some point during like the uh 20 2020 elections is that actually no during the 2016 elections as well um in terms of where where i was voting and why i wasn't enthusiastic on certain candidates is that you know uh my generation is the last one who i think for a brief portion knew the united states should not be at war um for a brief portion of my life i believe before 9 11 the united states to my understanding was not engaged in in armed conflict and that is no longer that has not been true for any other portion of my life um, the United States has been engaged in some form of on, on the ground conflict since 9-11. Um, and a lot of people, I think, weirdly, I think it's very bizarre to me that older generations seem to have forgotten that, that there was a time that there was peace. I think that's one of the darkest things about our reality is that um, even people on certain sides of the political spectrum seem to think it's asking too much to ask um, for an end to armed conflict. Um, they think that's, you know, a bygone era when there is literally no reason to believe that that must be the case. Um, so for me, the number one thing you can do to create peace is to understand that you actually can ask for peace. You can expect peace and that anyone who uh, doesn't expect peace is essentially asking for war as far as I'm concerned. Um, so for me, that's the number one thing. But that, that's kind of a rambling answer. Lauren, what do you think? No, you guys are giving me just so much to think about. Um, uh, thinking about like trust and forgiveness and safety, how these are all like different things. Um, and how even if you have it within yourself to have forgiveness, um, does that mean that you are being trustworthy for your children or your children's children or the other people in the community who are maybe vulnerable, right? 
Um, and then you talking about peace, for a lot of people, they don't even know what peace looks like because they've always been in the position of being harmed, right? Because they are in a marginalized body, unfortunately. Um, and I know that we're kind of teetering back and forth between personal and systemic, um, but I think in a lot of ways, they're the same thing. Um, so yeah, I, my brain is just going in so many different directions. This is a great conversation to be having before a conversation on peace building, though. Um, and, and to realize that, you know, these conversations are not a waste of time and nobody is an expert at them. That's part of what we model here at the table. It's not that you have to have one conversation, but we should be having these conversations with our family every day. What does it take to make peace? I, I think something that Elijah just brought up is really profound. I will be 60 next year, so I'm 59 now. And to realize that my children who are 27, 27 and 31, that essentially their entire memory, we have been in Iraq and in Afghanistan. You know, um, I, I remember being so impacted as a child by seeing um, Vietnam, you know, come into our house. It, it was in our house um, in a way, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you young people really watch the news. Like, it was on the news every night, right? But in, unless you're tuning into it, it is possible in the United States, at least, um, to completely ignore what's happening um, to some degree in Syria, Afghanistan, like Palestine, you know, that we have refugees. Um, I think it's something like one in every 36 people on the planet is now a refugee of some kind or another. One in 36, that's a lot of people. Um, and, and so what does that mean? And, and I think what that means is, what does that mean for us? You know, when people, I was listening to somebody talk about um, this morning about styrofoam use. I know that, I don't know how that ties to peace. And, um, I, you know, looking at how interconnected issues of peace and resources is, or war and resources are, or um, today in Portland, Oregon, Tomorrow in Portland, Oregon, which is the Pacific Northwest, they expect it to be 113 degrees. I grew up in Portland, Oregon and in the Pacific Northwest. It doesn't normally get above 85 or 90. For it to be 113, our forests are on fire. Like things are happening as a result of, I guess us kind of putting our head in the sound, right? Like things are happening around us and going along to get along. Um, and what does it mean to actually say, we want to be peacemakers as opposed to, but can peacemakers, can you be a peacemaker when you have such obvious threats to you happening? Either individually or what? What do you think, Carlo? Can you be a peacemaker if you have obvious threats happening to you? Elijah, Lauren? Sorry, my internet cut out for a moment, so, but, but I- I'm Carlo, we know you're our resident, um, like, <laughs> hells to the no to peace if, our, if we're under threat. We know that, that, I mean, I'm you know, but can you ever be a peacemaker if you are under threat? Uh, well, one of the things that I found growing up as a person of color, and I don't know if you guys find that yourself, but you know, a, a white person has the choice of who they hate and when they hate and what they hate. Uh, but 
if we were to hate everything that aggravated us, then we would have no room for anything else. Uh, so one of the things you have to learn and really, really intimately understand is that idea that the opposite of love is not hate, the opposite of love is indifference. Um, and I feel indifference most, more often than not. Uh, I feel indifferent to most racism. I feel indifferent to the people who have shot at me and the people who have tear gassed me. It's just, you know, it's not their individual fault. Uh, and I think I would be prepared to forgive them if they made an honest effort and were actually trying to uh, combat the systemic inequality that they have purported. Um, but otherwise, I don't think it's my duty, no. Yeah, and I agree with that. I just, <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of easy to say that sometimes because it's so rare that they do make an honest effort. You know, there's so few, um, especially if we're talking about literally like, you know, the jackboot forces of people who are, you know, tear gassing protesters um, who are trying to, you know, make an honest effort to make things right. These, uh, I guess, if we're going down this alley, the hypothetical good apples in a batch are so rarely trying to fix the bad apples in a fail. Is it? Well, I can't, I cannot remember. I cannot remember the phrase because I don't care for apples particularly, but. Um, it's one bad apple spoils the entire bunch. And fun. it's true. Yes, correct. Um, and the, I guess my point is, it just it's it feels so rare that sometimes the question almost feels kind of trite to ask um is the, this idea that so many people who are committing acts of kind of flagrant racism flagrant um silencing of minority voices marginalized people's voices uh, flagrant acts of violence um are also asking for forgiveness in a way that isn't entirely reflexive after having you know been caught after having been uh in some way shut down already um and after you know after receiving the advice from their legal counsel um to be quite honest um so yeah i'm of much the same vein but i i do think that if one were to try to make peace around such things um, i think one of the things that affected me most during the uh the uprisings of last summer um, after the murder of George Floyd was one article, I think it was a Medium article. So to be quite honest, who knows if it actually was by an ex-police officer, because it's Medium, you know, you can say you're an astronaut and get a Medium article attributing yourself as an astronaut, I assume. But um, it was an ex-cop saying, this is what I saw when I was a police officer. Um, here's why I believe as an ex-police officer that all police, like that ACAB, all cops are bastards. Um, because, you know, when they were trying to, you know, whistleblow, they were shut down. When they were trying to uh, not uh, not engage in discriminatory activities, they were punished. Um, so it's kind of the idea that it, it's a system in which anytime you're trying to do good, anytime you're trying to not engage at the very least in the worst excesses of the profession, of the industry, um, that you're going to be shut down and that eventually you're just not going to be part of the cadre um, because the only way to be a good apple is to stop being that an apple entirely, I guess is the metaphor I'm going for. Um, Lauren, what do you think? I, so, okay, so the question is, do I think that if you're under direct threat, if your safety is being threatened, can you still create peace? I wanted from that happy, yes, that was the question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer, 
I'm coming up with is yes and no. And I think it is yes, depending on how much you are willing to lose um, and how many people you're willing to lose, how many rights you're willing to lose. Um, I do think that at a certain point, you have to choose between peace and protecting innocent people. And everyone's gauge on when that time is, is different. Fair enough. I think that's very reasonable. Um, well, we're kind of reaching the end. And, and to remind you, everybody, that Izzy is based in and Izzy is intentional social interaction is based on the three human needs that everybody has hardwired. We all have a need for security and safety. We all have a need for significance. And we all have a need to feel as though we belong and are connected. And if we really address those three hardwired needs, and that's what we do at the table, that's why we model the conversation we hope that you're having in your own homes. Take it away, Elijah. Right, so uh, we're reaching kind of the end of our time, but so these questions that we answered and a few more, I think we went over three of them and we have, I believe, eight of them. Um, we'll be posting these um, so that if you want to have this kind of conversation with your cohort, if you want to bring this conversation to, you know, your organization, your party, your faith, um, your place of worship, um, your family, um, we will be, we, we're giving the tools to do that. Um, and yeah thank you uh for listening to us thanks for tuning in you have uh, a beautiful view outside that window there elijah i i mean actually no it's kind of dreary today if, oh, okay. i'm not sure why you're asking but it's, it's it's kind of it's kind of a dull day in minneapolis it's not it's okay. not quite a sunset it's very gray out the city looks kind of okay um i'm tired of it i've, I've been here for two months on this this lovely 13th 13th floor apartment and i'm, I'm tired of the view but um, on Today, my note, background is the Hamptons Beach. I love the Hamptons. Very festive. Anyway. And, and, and Carlos in Oakland. And Carlos in Oakland. And Lauren is in Minneapolis as well. Well, it was great to have y'all with us. Thank you very much. We will see you next time here on the Weather Together podcast. Peace out. It's drastic time for sure. We need an antidote and a cure. Cause do you really think Muhammad got a problem with Jehovah? We don't want war. Imagine if every prophet was alive. And current days amongst you and I. You think they would view life like you and I do? Or where they sit and contemplate on why do we live this way? How them behave this way? We still live in primitive today. Cause the peace of the destination in war can't be the way. There's no way. So people just be a woman, be a man. Realize that you can change the world by changing yourself and understand that we all just the same so when i count of three let's change <laughs>